I just invite you to open your Bibles with me, the book of Romans chapter 1. And as you turn there, uh, we are going to be looking actually at verses 18 through 25, but it's concentrated in verses 21 through 25. And those of you that are joining us online, we want to welcome you. Uh, if you're joining with us live today or you're catching us a little bit later in the week, we want to welcome you and thank you for being a part of the church. Now, at, uh, on this message today, I do have an outline. I just want to make sure everybody's received one of these. If you haven't, raise your hand and we'll make sure that you get one of these. Looks like everybody's been served. So this will just kind of help you uh, follow along with me in the scriptures that I'm going to be looking at. And I've got those also. Uh, they will be up on the screen behind me. But I want you, while we enter into this message today, I want you just to pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, everybody together, Heavenly Father, speak to my heart and change my life in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to imagine with me, if you will, for a moment, that you have been working for years, slaving at your job, with nobody ever noticing your diligence or the back-breaking work that you undergo every day. You work long hours. The work literally wears you out physically every day. The pay is barely enough to allow you to put food on your table for you and for your family. You would have changed jobs years ago, but you just you never finished your education, and so therefore you feel stuck. Are you there with me? But one day as you're working your job and you're on the dock, the CEO of the corporation walks out to you on the dock where you're loading a truck. And he asks you if he can talk to you for a few minutes, and as the two of you walk along the dock, he makes you an offer. And the boss says to you, you know, you were so young when you first came to us and you were full of energy and you were, you were always willing to do more than we asked of you. You've been here now for more than 20 years and I just want you to know that there's nobody who knows more about the work that has to be done around here than you do. The suggestions that you have made through the years has increased our productivity and I... I'm going to retire in two years. And I would love to have you come with me and become my vice president of operations until that time. And during the next two years, I'm going to teach you the business side of our company so that in two years, you can step into the position of CEO and lead us into the next 20 years. What do you think? What do you think? Man, if somebody said that to you, would you jump at that? Would you think it would be okay to exchange what you had for that? I would call that a great exchange. And today I'm titling this message, The Great Exchange. 
When Jesus came to give us life, that was a great exchange. Because we were living in death, and he gave us life. We were lost in sin, and he gave us freedom. We were lost in a lie, and he gave us the truth. Jesus did for us what we could not do ourselves. When we were without God, he was still with us. And he loved us anyway. And throughout the Bible, you will find things like this where God gives a great exchange. It's the story of David, the shepherd boy, taking his lunch to his brothers on the front line. And in the blink of an eye, he's standing over the giant with victory swirling in the air and the head of a giant in his hand. It is the great exchange. It is the story of a nameless woman that we have come to know as Mary pouring expensive perfume that cost a year's wage on Jesus' head to prepare him for burial. The disciples are indignant that this woman would waste this expensive perfume, but that was a great exchange. It's the story of a despised tax collector looked down upon by everyone in society and moments later he's entertaining the Savior. He's a little bantam-sized IRS agent named Zacchaeus. That was a great exchange. Because that day when he was done and Jesus was done in his home, that man was saved. That man knew God. That man said, I, and we know, we know that anybody that is addicted to money one hour and is wanting to give it away the next hour, something's changed in their life. And there was a great exchange. And Jesus was known for exchanging so many bad things that we had for his good things. And when he walked this earth, there were people walking and living in sin and people that were being literally uh, affected by sin. One woman, as he is teaching in synagogue, has been afflicted for 18 years by a spirit to where the only way she can walk is bent over double. She had not stood upright for 18 years. And Jesus healed her on the Sabbath. That was a great exchange. People who couldn't walk, he healed. That was a great exchange. People who were dead, in fact, in a coffin, being carried by men to the graveyard. And on the way, he touches the casket And what was dead is now... Could you imagine going to a funeral where Jesus is preaching it? Nobody would ever die because he'd be raising them from the dead. Lazarus. When Jesus came, there was a great exchange. Sin was defeated on the cross. That was the greatest exchange because when he came on Friday, Jesus took upon himself all the sins of the world as he hung within, within 
distant, just, just eye distance from his mother and John, and he's in pain, and he's on a wooden cross. But on Sunday, after he has been placed into the tomb, the stone is rolled away, and he is alive. Death was defeated. That's a great exchange. Sin was overcome. That's a great exchange. The darkness was dispelled. That's a great exchange. Agony and death were exchanged for the glory and the life that God gives. His crown of thorns were exchanged for a crown of glory. Have you ever wondered what is going on in the world today? Is there anyone here you're kind of looking at the world going, man, what is going on? Can I fill you in on something? A lot of people are exchanging But it's an opposite exchange of what Jesus gave. Whereas he was exchanging the death we had for truth and the sin we had for forgiveness, today we're finding people are exchanging truth for a lie. Now there is a statement that C.S. Lewis made, the author of the Chronicle of Chronicles of Narnia, he said, when the whole world is running towards a cliff, he who is running in the opposite direction appears to have lost his mind. Well, church, right now, it appears to me like the whole world is running towards a cliff, and a person of God that is running the opposite direction will look like the crazy person. Can I get an amen? Have you ever wondered what happens to a person who exchanges the truth of God for a lie? Maybe you know someone who has made this troubling exchange. They were once walking in the truth of God's Word, but now they have created a new reality. Can I say it this way? They've created their truth. And it conflicts with His truth. Placing the exchange... In the unenviable position of going to war with God. Now, I'm going to show you this because it's exactly what's happening. The person who exchanges the truth of God for a lie actually positions themselves to be at war with God. Paul talked about such a person in Romans 1. And I want to begin with verse 21. Now, mine might read a little bit different than that, but. It says, for even though they knew God, everybody say they knew God. See, we're not talking about somebody who didn't know God. They knew God. Even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God. Everybody say honor. Or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Say foolish. Now watch this. I want you to mark this. If you mark in your Bibles, mark the word darkened. Because that's what happens. When you exchange the truth of God for a lie, you exchange the light for the dark. You choose to go into the dark. Now watch what he says. Professing to be wise. In other words, they're saying they're wise. God says they, be, they actually became fools. 
Now, what did they do, Pastor? They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. So they exchanged God's glory for an idol. Here it is. Here's where the war begins. Therefore, and every time you read a therefore in the Bible, you need to find out why the therefore is therefore. So we just read about it. Because of that, God gave them over. Say, gave them over. Now watch this. This is something you do not want to be given over to. God gave them over in the lusts. Say, lusts. A lot of things that are being spoken as of with the word love today, it's not love. It's lusts. God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to what? Impurity. Everybody say impurity. Now, why would God do that? So that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Here it is. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, if you keep reading, I don't have that as part of the message today, but if you will keep reading Romans 1, you will find that they actually uh, are given over by God to their lusts to a depraved mind, to a mind void of telling the difference between right and wrong. Have you ever wondered what happens to a person who exchanges the truth of God for a lie? Maybe you know that person. They have made this troubling exchange. They were once walking in the truth of God's Word, but they have created a new reality, as I said earlier, called their truth. Here's what happens. If you're following on the outline, you will see we've already talked about truth exchangers. They they exchange the truth for a lie. Listen, any time you switch from adhering to God's truth to clinging to an alternate, fluid, changing reality, you can expect a process called soul degradation. Your soul will begin to degrade. Your mind, that's what your soul is, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your will will degrade. Your emotions will degrade. Paul was talking here about a group of people who knew God, but for reasons that are not entirely clear, they decided that we're going to walk away from Him, choosing instead to worship and serve the creature more than the Creator. And from that point of departure from God, things became progressively worse for them, and their lives became a slow march of deterioration of body and soul. And we know why, because God is pressing down His wrath on them. Slip up. To Romans 1.18. It says this. For the wrath of God 
is revealed from heaven against what? Say it out loud. All ungodliness. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who do what? Suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, let me explain what is going on here. This is not saying they do not know the truth. This is saying they know the truth and they're suppressing the truth. They know the truth, but they refuse to accept the truth. They suppress the truth. And Paul writes about the displeasure that God has as raining down from heaven on any person who chooses to push that truth out of their lives, to suppress that truth. This passage applies, listen to me, to all of us, not just the determined sinner who actively and angrily suppresses the truth of God out of their lives. Paul tells us about a universal, absolute cause and effect regardless of how big and nasty the sin is. He is saying that the wrath of God will automatically descend from on high when we choose sin. When we know the truth, but we will suppress it. Whether it's your cute little toddler or the hardened criminal. Paul, you, how many of you know toddlers know when you, when you, they know enough to know truth when you say no, no, and they go, <laughs> and do it anyway. Guess what? Sinner. It's not cute. It's sin. And they need to be taught. You made a choice to do what was not right. How many of you know the, what the Bible calls rebellion? Do you know, what, do you know what, how God defines rebellion? He actually says there's a sin that it's like. He said rebellion is like the sin of Witchcraft. Witchcraft. Now I want you to slip over and look at verse 19. There are no excuses. Look at verse 19. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Here it is, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been vaguely seen? Clearly seen. Well, how, Pastor? How can we see it being understood through what's been made? So that they are without excuse. Do you know evolution is one of those things that if you really, really, really started talking to the people who say they believe it, you would know they're suppressing the truth because there is no proof. Oh, now wait, now pastor, the Grand Canyon is proof. Oh, is it really? The Grand Canyon proves to me there was a flood. Oh, the fossils prove it. Fossils prove to me there was a flood. Fossils prove to me that God was the one who was right. Can I just say this? God was right. God is right. And can I also say God will be right. 
Past, present, future. So knowing the truth is not the exclusive domain of the religious person. It does not matter who you are or how much you know about God. No one can get away with using excuses when responding incorrectly with God because the Bible, I've even had people say this, well, what about the person who's never heard? Well, God made it evident to them. Native Americans worshipped the Great Spirit. They just didn't know who it was. Those who by, by their own, what, what is inside them, they look at creation and they know there has got to be something bigger. So we found truth exchangers. We've seen truth suppressors. We see that there is no excuse for anyone to say, well, I didn't know about God. Now I want you to see about what happens to the person who opposes God and a person who won't oppose God. Look at James chapter 4 and verse 6. Watch what God will do if you will not oppose him. If you will go with God, the Bible says he gives a greater grace. Therefore, God is opposed to the proud, but what will he do with the humble? He'll give grace to them. Jesus said it this way. He said, whoever falls on this rock, meaning him, will be broken. I want to ask you this question. How many of you have ever asked God to forgive you of your sins and you were broken? You were ashamed of what you did. You were weeping when you prayed. You asked God to forgive you for your sin. You were broken. You fell upon the rock of Christ and you were broken. But he's not done yet. He also says, but Whoever this rock falls on will be crushed. So as you see, we have a choice. Are we going to be broken or are we going to be crushed? And the person that that rock will crush is the person who will not humble themselves. But he said, the one, I will be humbled to, the one that will humble themselves, they're going to get a greater grace. You come to God and say, God, I, am, I have come against you. I have done what was wrong in your eyes. God will forgive. But you know what? For whatever reason, some people choose to alter God's truth into a truth that is more aligned with their preferences. And when they do this, they set themselves up for an unpleasurable response from God. You cannot sin and expect things to be okay between you and the person you sinned against. You cannot sin against God and expect that there is not going to be a change in God. Because the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2, God said, your sin has separated you from me. I don't know about you. I don't want to be separated from God. So I want to do whatever it takes to get back to God. If that means I got to get on my face and I got to repent and dust and ashes and put sackcloth on, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I want to humble myself before the hand of God while, there is still, while it's still today. You know, the idea of suppressing the truth or pushing it out of your life is like uh, taking this balloon, this little weenie balloon, and pressing, pressing in right here. And when I do that, notice that it affects both ends. You can't, 
you cannot do your own thing and it not affect it. It will affect your life and it will affect your relationship with God. That's about all I know how to do with that balloon. But I, I use that as an illustration to show to you it's going to affect you and it's going to affect God. But listen to me. We're connected with other people. Why is America being affected by the things it's being affected with? It's because we're all in it. We're all in it. And what happens is, just like that balloon becomes out of balance, so does your life when you push the truth of God's Word out of your life. You become awkward with God. You become awkward with others. You are no longer in step with what is right. When God's displeasure comes into your life because you choose to reject His truth, you cannot help but live awkward, out of balance, just like that balloon. You cannot be Jesus normal when God is standing in opposition to you. You say, well, then pastor, how do I make my decisions? I'm so glad you asked me that because we are, we're, we're given an answer. How many of you know the Bible has the answers? You see, the problem today a lot of times with the average American Christian is they don't read the book. It's our roadmap. Now, I know everybody in here does, but I'm just saying for all those other Christians that don't, right? Look at, look at this passage in Philippians chapter 4, because God tells us here how to make godly decisions. The first step in making godly decisions is, uh, is to run your thoughts, what I'm going to call the Philippians 4.8 filter. This is a filter. This is what you need to filter your thoughts with. Here it is. It says this. Finally, brethren, believers in Christ, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report or repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Now, here it is. You can, do, you can do your decision-making based off of this filter and ask yourself these series of questions. Is what I want to do true? Now, now, isn't it interesting to you? It is to me that the very first thing that he says in order for us to make decisions, base it on what is true. Now, can I ask you this question? When you leave this place and you get in your car and you put your key in and you start your car up and you go down the street here, and let's say you're going to head down here to, to, to Glendale Avenue and you're going to turn left. There's going to be a device hanging on a pole with three lights on it, one lit up at a time. What is that called? It's a traffic light. It's a traffic signal. Now, is it true or is it false that when that is green, I can go? 
Is it true or is it false that when it's red, I cannot go? Is it true or is it false if other people are going and my light is red and I choose to go, I will have repercussion. Either I will hit someone or someone will hit me. I might get hurt or I might hurt someone based off of what I chose. Now, will you give this to me? Is it possible that I can say, I know the truth that if I go into the street, I might get hit, but I will suppress that truth to find out if I can make it through before these other cars come, and that's my truth. Can I choose that truth? But can I ask this question? Will the real truth win? Every time. Is it honorable? Let's look at those verses again. Is it true? Is it honorable? Is this right? Church, do we still have right and wrong in the world? Absolute. Is it pure? Is this pure? Is this lovely? Parent tells you to do something, you talk back. Is that honorable? Is it of good reputation to make choices that hurt others? Is there anything excellent or worthy of praise in these things? You see, if we, if we do what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely, and that which is of good or commendable, good reputation, if all of those things are in line, then we need to ask the question, is this worthy of praise? Is this an excellent thing to do? Is there any excellence in it? And if you are unsure how to answer those questions biblically, it would be wise to reach out for help from someone that knows. Let me give you four things just real quick. Just, just listen to these. These are what I would call four means of grace that are given from God's Word to make sound decisions. Without raising your hands, anybody in the room have any decisions to make? Here are four grace-filled means of making decisions. What does the Bible say about what you want to do? Number one. What does God say about it? Number two, what does the Holy Spirit say to you? That inner voice. that inner voice. He'll lead you. That's why Jesus said, you don't have really need of anyone to teach you. The Holy Spirit will show you. Number, number three, not only what does the Spirit say, but what does your inner voice say? How many of you know we have a conscience? You know what I'm talking about? 
you do something wrong and it bugs you? It's because it's connected to the Holy Spirit and he makes sure it's bugged. He's called the hound of heaven. And I want to tell you this, when the hound of heaven gets on your truck, you can't get away. You can run, but you can't hide. Doesn't matter where you go, he's going to find you. He's like a hound. You can't get away from the hound dog. And fourthly, what does the body of Christ say about it? What does the church say? How many of you know that there's protection in connection? Being connected to one another, there's protection in that. So, making decisions is so, so, so important. And here's what's happened is people have made wrong decisions, but it doesn't mean you kick them out. It means you reach out. Because regardless of how they got to the point of their lifestyle choice, they still need help. But what I'm finding over and over is way too many are preferring to stick to their choice rather than do the hard thing. Rather than do the hard thing. Here is a progression that I have found that it leads people into darkness. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12 gives us some idea of this. And we're going to read that in just a minute. But before we get there, let me give you a few of these. A progression into darkness, first of all, starts a lot of times is people are angry at God. They're angry at God. These are people, they knew Him. They walked with Him. They've talked with Him. They've lived with Him. But something didn't happen the way they thought it should happen, and they blame Him. Instead of the one they should be blaming, the enemy. The devil. How many of you believe Jesus could have blamed the Father for Him having to go to the cross? But really, who's to blame? The devil. He was the first sinner. He's the first liar. He's the first murderer. He's the one that came into the garden. He's the one that fell from God first. He's the one whom pride was found in, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. All of those scriptures show us that the devil, Lucifer, was an angel, simply an angel, who fell and chose to live his own way. And he's angry at God. In church, if the devil can get his anger on you, and not only on you, but against the Father, against anything that belongs to him, the church, Jesus, everything else, you will no longer care about what's right or wrong. And that's what happens. They're angry at God, and they no longer care about what's right or wrong. Secondly, they did something impulsively, not thinking about right or wrong, and they're unwilling to return to make things right. And that's pride. It's the epitome of pride. And the Bible says, your sin has separated me from you, and he gives grace to the humble, but he's opposed to the proud. Now, stop and think with me for that just a minute. Is God loving? Does God love everyone? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We know he loves everyone. But i got a question for you. Will everyone make heaven? Now, why? Is that because God doesn't love everyone? 
then if God loves everyone, but not everyone is going to make heaven, why are they not there? They chose it. And I remember the first time ever saying that to somebody that they, anyone that's going to go to hell chose it, saying that you can't really believe that. Say, well, work it out. What other way is to work it out? God is not willing that any should perish. That means not willing that any go to hell. But he's wanting everyone, all, to come to repentance. But not all will come to repentance because we find in the book of Revelation chapter 20, there are going to be a multitude of people in the lake of fire, led with the devil, the false prophet, the Antichrist. Now, why will they not make it? Is it that God is not powerful enough to forgive their sin? Could God not come over our conscience and make us follow him? Absolutely he could. And I'm sure some of you parents could wish that you would, could make your child love you and do the things that you want them to do, but you see that they have their own choices. They have their own soul, mind, will, emotions. They make their own choice. That's why you can blame no one But you. You see, we can even, we, you, uh, you can point to the devil and say, you're the cause of it. But listen, church, the devil made me do it won't count at the courtroom of God. Because the devil didn't make you do anything. You see, we have two examples. We have Adam in the garden and we have Jesus in the wilderness. Adam blew it. Jesus didn't. Because the devil came to him just like he came to Eve, just like he came to Adam, but he even used the word of God against Jesus. And you know what? You probably, that probably was not smart. Do you know why? Because the Bible says that Jesus is the word of God. So you think you're going to be using the word of God against God, uh, kind of stupid. He's like, well, you know, Lord, uh, Throw yourself off the temple, and God, it even says in the Word that God will give his angels charge concerning you. And Jesus said, uh, also says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. They try to keep from yielding to an ongoing temptation, but they decide to give up and go their way. Proverbs fourteen twelve. look at this. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Well, how do I know if that way is the end of death? Philippians 4.8. How do I make my choices? Philippians 4.8. You got to put the filter in. You know what happens if you don't put an oil filter in? You're going to lose all the oil. You'll lose all the oil. You'll lose the ability to be able to go anywhere. If you don't have the Philippians 4.8 filter, you will not know what it is God wants you to do. What is true? Man, if truth is out the window, what do you know what is true? Well, it's right here. And it's still here. The fourth progression into darkness is they possibly have always been the way they are, and they have never known any other way, so they live that way, and they go with it. There are a lot of people in that connection. 
And the last one is they've proceeded into darkness. And listen, this is a very scary one. They sinned, and they liked it. And they don't want to let it go. I remember hearing of one pastor who uh, there was literally a board member. He was holding an evangelistic revival at this pastor's church. People were getting touched with the power of God. Demons were getting, people were getting delivered of demons. There was a, uh, a board member's wife who had a demon. They had prayed for that thing to go, and it never went. They brought her to this evangelist, and the evangelist was sensitive to the Holy Spirit And the Holy Spirit said, don't lay hands on her. She wants the demon. She doesn't want it to go. Now listen, you got to know you heard from God before before you do what this man just fixes to do. This is a board member of the church, and he says, I cannot pray for her. And he says, well, why can you not pray for her? He said, because she doesn't want it to leave. God's not going to violate her will. And he looked at the woman. He said, is that true? And she said, yes. I do not want it to leave. It's a lot like Luke. 15, the father of two sons. One says, Dad, I want it all. Give me what is mine. And he gives it to him. We all know the story, right? Prodigal son, he uses it all in riotous living. His father is never, he's never stopped looking for him. But you know what the father didn't do? The father didn't say, no, you're not going to get it. He actually gave him what he wanted. You say, Pastor, will God do that? We just read it in Romans 1. I told you, keep reading verse 26. He gave them over to their passions. He let them go their way. That is a scary place to be. That is a very scary place to be. Now, regardless of this happening to people who may choose this, my warning to us today is don't let this happen to you. Jesus says something in the book of Mark chapter 8, and I'm on my way to closing here. How do I follow you, Lord? This is how we follow him. Jesus summoned the crowd with his disciples. And he said to them, and we could put it this way, do you want do you want to follow Jesus? I could ask you that question. Do you truly want to follow Jesus? This is what Jesus said when he summons the crowd with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me or follow me, 
Look what, look, what God, look what Jesus' requirements are. These are not David Drew's. These are not the assemblies of God. This is not celebration churches. This is Jesus himself. If you want to follow me, come after me, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Do you know every one of you have a cross? Every single one of us have a cross to bear. There's a story of a man who actually died and went to heaven and felt like his cross was too big to bear. He said, God, why did I have to carry that cross? He said, I'll tell you what, you come into the cross room and put your cross on the wall and you choose any cross you want. And so he goes through the cross room, and it's vast, and it's massive. And he, as he walks, he's seeing all of these crosses, and he's walked all over the room. And finally, he sees over close to the door, there's this little cross, just a little, little bitty cross, and it's laying against the wall. And he's like, Lord, that's the cross I want. And Jesus said, that's the cross you just put on the wall. It's the very one I gave you. Every one of us deal with something. Every one of us have hurt. Every one of us have pain. Every one of you are dealing with something someone else may not be dealing with. And you may feel alone. It's your cross. Just keep carrying it. No one carried the cross that Jesus carried. No one had his cross. But he got on it. He carried it. Take up your cross and follow me. Let me give one last passage in the book of Romans, chapter 2. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. As I said, I've had the question asked to me, Pastor, what do we do with the people groups who have never heard the gospel Romans 2, 14 and 15. Let's go back to 14. Let's read it again. Look at this. He said that the Gentiles who do not have the law, when they do instinctively out of their own viewpoint of what they've seen in creation that God has made evident to them, they do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law, that becomes a law to themselves. And then it says, because they show the work of the law actually is written in their heart. And their conscience bears witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. Let me ask you this question. Do you think you would have to preach very long to a human being to show them that it is sin to murder? 
Now, there is one of the Ten Commandments, but do you really honestly believe a human does not instinctively know that? It's instinctively in them. And here's what the enemy wants to do. He wants this on the shelf. He wants this full of self. With that on the shelf and this full of self, he's got really good ground to get people to think his way. With that on the shelf and us full of self, we'll justify our actions. We will declare ourselves not guilty of any wrongdoing, and that is what 2023 American society is doing today. With that on the shelf and us filled with self, we will rationalize our actions by comparing our life to others. That's a bad exchange. We will, with that on the shelf and us full of self, we will blame our actions on other people or specific events in our life. We won't take personal responsibility. And the last thing is, with this on the shelf and us full of self, we will alleviate any discomfort we may feel which medicates the mind with a new truth. Our truth. And it will medicate the mind falsely. And therein is deception. Here's the call to action. This is what we got to do. Are you with me? I am closing. For people who will not repent, there is nothing left for them but to turn to those four things I just mentioned, noise reducers, so to speak, to live in their version of the truth. Once that is complete, that person has successfully exchanged God's truth for a lie. In church, that's no man's land. It's no man's land. That's flying blind in a storm. It's the worst possible place for any human to be. Because God is not with him. God is not for him. God is actually not helping him. He's given him over or her to her ways. And what's happening is that mind of that person is entering into darkness They're becoming desensitized to the truth. And the sad thing is they will set aside people 
who can help them the most. For those of you going dark, whether you're in this room or you're watching online, if you are making these choices, would you let this appeal be a warning and a guide? I beg you to choose repentance. You can do that. First, just let someone know what's going on. Secondly, for those who are in the dark, the light is off. And if that light is off, you have made your bed, you have no plans to change your lifestyle, then let this be your warning. You can do what you want. But please be aware that God has stern warnings for those who persist in their way, especially if you say you're a Christian. And last of all, this is for those of you who know someone. If you know someone who is trying to exchange the truth of God for a lie, please warn them by any means appropriate that I've shared with you today. Because to be desensitized to truth is as precarious a position you can be in as any. Speak the truth. And speak it in love. Can I ask you this? Did you hear truth today? Did it seem hateful? Did anything I share with you today seem hateful? Truth is truth. And it's full of love. Real truth is love. Your parents aren't being unloving to your children when you say, don't put your hand on that hot stove, it's going to hurt. And that little child wants to touch that little red glowing thing, and you say, no, 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 it's pretty, but it, it hurts. It's pretty, but it's, de- it, it, it's deadly. You know, every deadly thing in the rainforest is pretty. Those pretty frogs, they'll kill you. You touch them, you're dead. Oh, yeah, sin is pretty. Listen, if sin wasn't fun, people wouldn't be doing it. But listen, fun doesn't last forever. Would you stand with me today? Did you get anything out of this? Father, you have made for us the greatest exchange ever when you gave Jesus to us. Lord, we do not want to exchange down. We do not want to exchange the truth for a lie. We do not want to exchange anything you've given us for something lesser. 
And if we're guilty of that, please forgive us. For some of us, maybe we've exchanged faith for fear or worry. But God, I pray wherever we are in our own individual life, you would help us be strong in the Lord and in the power of your might. I pray, Lord, that you'd help your church truly be the salt and light that you intend us to be. And Lord Jesus, help us speak the truth in love every day so we can reach more and more for your kingdom. I pray for everyone in darkness that they will come to the light. I pray, Lord, that they would be released from the power of darkness. I pray, Lord, that the God of this world that has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving, that they, that, that unbelieving yoke would be removed and those blinders would be taken off, that they may see the truth of your word. I pray for people who have once served you and are now away from you, they will come back to you, God, that you would send the hound of heaven, the Holy Spirit, on their trail to the point where they cannot get away. They cannot sleep it off. They cannot travel it off. They cannot sin it off. Lord Jesus, you are there. You are there. You are there. And win many through us for your kingdom, we pray. And if this is your prayer, would you just say a big amen? I love you all. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless. Oh my.